Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. We're in the midst of a pandemic. Still, I don't care what governors are saying, and it's not over. Uh, but we've been here before, unfortunately. And and in our community, while we're disproportionately impacted by it, we've been here before. So let me welcome to the show a man that has been studying this from TB to AIDS. It's a book that we talked about in a Saturday class. And now I have the pleasure to welcome in Dr. David McBride. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hi, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for giving me this opportunity. And I just want to say... Um, Thank you for your voice and for your the, the tremendous amount of information and the great guests you bring on and you you really are are, are helping us uh, through many many battles and problems and everything else but also a lot of successes so I really appreciate appreciate the chance to get to talk with you all. Uh, listen, um, I'm honored and humbled that you know that you're joining us. Um, yeah, I like I like talking with smart people. I say that every day because you know I'm here to learn. Uh, you you've been through some things. So let, before we get into from TB to AIDS, because I, I do want to understand how either this is the same or different, what we're going through right now with COVID-19, your journey, uh, Dr. McBride, to, to get to where you are right now. What, what was that experience? Well, I'm a new, a New York kid. You know, I grew up in, in Brooklyn and then, uh, our family moved out to Queens and I went to Forest Hills high school. I was one of the first, it was kind of like a um, Little Rock, Arkansas situation. You know, we had a few of us going into Forest Hills High and uh, we got through and then I went to, to college out in uh, Ohio, back to the city, to Columbia for my PhD in medical history, African-American history. And then I've, I've been a professor for over three decades and, and a researcher and a community oriented um, uh, scholar, I like to think. And so that's pretty much my journey. and. Um, I'm, I was so pleased to hear your, your, your comments a few minutes ago about um, uh, uh, Adele Logan, you know, and how, and just the, the rich career she, she's had, but she's been outside the limelight, you know, of the textbooks and of our, our kids' curriculums and, and such. So um, I've been kind of like uh, away from a lot of the, the headline types of, of health issues, but I've been very much in the trenches in terms of you know, academic research, but also trying to to work in conferences and work with community groups and health facilities that are in the black community for over for over three decades. What lesson can we glean from your research in tuberculosis and HIV/AIDS to where we are right now? What are there parallels? Are there similarities? Oh yeah, definitely parallels. I mean, the tuberculosis um, epidemic in the early 20th century was one of the leading um, causes of death uh, of blacks throughout the country. And um, 1900, 1910, 20, 30, 40, uh, tuberculosis was right up there. And tuberculosis has a lot of uh, similarities uh, with the COVID-19 in terms of it's a respiratory type of, uh, it's spread through respiratory uh, means, uh, it involves you know, oftentimes lungs, but it also, it, it's a backbreaker in terms of if you have co-existing diseases or pre-existing diseases, uh, as well as if you have uh, nutrition issues or if you have uh, housing issues. As you add housing issues, nutrition issues, and other so-called social de determinants in the negative to an individual, they, they tend to succumb 
to, to a disease like tuberculosis. So we have we heard that before. I mean, it's very similar to, to folk who have come down with COVID-19 and have not been able to, you know, to, to, beat, to beat it down or, or, or are still suffering from it. So you have to look at tuberculosis as a kind of case study. It's a, a grand, huge case study that unfolds uh, throughout black communities from the early 20th century all the way down to World War II into the, the civil rights era. It was a major killer and black folks either had to learn to deal with it or suffer the consequences because this was the time of Jim Crow segregation, poor hospital arrangements and things of that sort. So the flip side of all of this with respect to um, similarities with, with our current pandemic crisis uh, another dimension is self-help. A lot of self-help from black communities came out during the TB era, also during the HIV era, which I think is similar to what we're starting to see in our communities today with respect to COVID. By, by self-help, you mean people were emerging with uh, what, natural remedies, natural, there was a- Well, self-care, self-care has always been important, particularly in black communities going back to, to, to slavery times. Um, and um, a lot of the self-care is, is, is somewhat therapeutic. It, 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 does, it does work when you have no, no um, um, so-called formalized care. When we look at tuberculosis, Blacks did, were not allowed to, into most hospitals. So mm -hmm. what they did in terms of self-help, they uh, began to build their own hospitals and organize their own hospitals. And you mentioned a, a few minutes ago, Daniel Hill Williams, um, the famous surgeon. Well, Daniel Hill Williams also was a famous hospital uh, organizer and he, he, he uh, helped start Provident Hospital in Chicago back in the 1890s. He did it because he wanted to train other black doctors. He did it because he wanted to have a place where black nurses could be trained. And then he also did it because he wanted to have a place where black patients could get, could get surgery. And so that, that served as a model, it served as a kind of prototype. And in all the other cities uh, throughout the country, all the major cities, you see black hospitals crop up in the early 20th century. And, and uh, uh, Brother Don mentioned one, Homer G. Phillips, which is a very esteemed hospital all the way down through, through I would say the 60s and, and, and 70s. And it was, a, it was a black run hospital. So self-help came in all forms, from self-care to developing hospitals, developing professional organizations, such as the National Medical Association, mm -hmm. which was the counterpart on the part of black physicians to the segregated AMA. And then the oh. National Hospital Association, which was the counterpart to the uh, largely segregated um, American Hospital Association. I, I always say when I'm, talking to, uh, when I'm talking to friends and clients, Dr. Day, uh, life mm -hmm. hack, pro tip, if you will, when you see an organization that starts with national, that's because mm -hmm. it wants to do it for Negro, right? Like Negro Medical Association, Negro Bar uh, Association, as opposed to the American Bar Association. And so, you know, Negro Society of Accountants and so on and so forth. Uh, so you're, you're absolutely right in that the tradition of self-care extends from community to the collective, right? What do we need to do? What are the institutions we need to develop? What are the organizations we need to develop? That's a fascinating, again, history is instructive. And if you're debating the issues of today without delving into the history, you're just playing. You ain't having a serious conversation. So 
part of our history in every endeavor of the black experience in America is the story of how we got over. So if you consider tuberculosis, if you consider HIV AIDS and its disproportionate impact on black folks, not that it's over, we don't wanna encourage irresponsible behaviors, not that those things are over, but tuberculosis for the most part is over. Um, if you consider the great pandemics of human history who have disproportionately affected black folks, what is the lesson in how we got over from those, how we beat those? What are the lessons that we can apply to ending COVID-19, uh, particularly in black communities? Wow, that's a huge, huge question. Um, the, collectively, you gotta have that intangible persistence and faith and um, um, strength, inner strength, number one. And number two, you gotta look at the equality issue because if you have a discrimination, you know, raining down on you while you're trying to deal with problems as horrific as, as these epidemics and the different, you know, the different medical conditions and diseases that you that you mentioned, you also gotta you got you gotta be real. You gotta deal with the discrimination so that you can get the resources to move forward. But I say the other ingredient in the recipe is recognizing and somehow managing to pull together the resources you need in terms of medical medical uh, care, medical delivery, medical care delivery, you have to somehow get those resources together and be able to, to distribute them throughout, throughout the needy black communities. And this is exactly what the po black politicians, this is where they come in and, mm. and the allies of black politicians. They were able to kind of like, like a ramrod, they were able to break down the segregation of resources that existed like a stone wall running uh, throughout the 1950s and 60s. Well, it was the, the activists, black medical professionals, as well as community leaders who were able to give their services within their community, but also find the strength to work through the midnight hour and mm. devising strategies and such to challenge legally and, and uh, uh, policy-wise and strategically their local hospitals and, and medical associations uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so um, the, the, to me, the ingredients, you've got to have faith and persistence. Um, you got to think beyond the, the limits of what the disease seems to, to uh, pretend. But then you also got to somehow mobilize, mobilize resources. And sometimes you got to have a political solution before you can get to the medical solution. Mm, yes, indeed. Dr. David McBride is here. His book, From AIDS to TB to AIDS, From TB to AIDS, is uh, groundbreaking. When you talk about AIDS, though, in your book, when you talk about AIDS, the stigma attached to AIDS, right, uh, was paralyzing, I would say, right? Because oh, no of who was getting AIDS and who we looked at. They were pariahs in our society or outcasts. And somehow, you know, it made it even more of a burden that it was disproportionately, again, affecting black women as as the disease progressed. Black women were were becoming more and more uh, succumbing to HIV AIDS. Talk a little bit about those parallels as we look at uh, COVID today. Wow. Well, yeah, that, one of the big problems with uh, taking on the AIDS problem as it as it became uh, larger within within the the, the the black community and other communities, you know, other working communities and other people of color, one of the big problems was the stigma issue. A lot and a lot of the mainstream um, medical institutions, medical establishment, uh, the media, they tended to try to paint AIDS as a, a disease of the outcast, the disease of the 
the, the you know only the gays and the, the, the low Drug black users. folk and things of that sort. And that's very much echoed what was going on with tuberculosis a half century earlier. And that's within my book. Now, wait, 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 wait. So TB was also looked upon as being a disease of the degenerate. Oh yeah, TB was this considered uh, part of uh, what you could expect with people who didn't take care of themselves and who uh, uh, carried on in unhealthy ways. Um, so the stigma is a, is a rationale. And if you notice in my book, TB to AIDS, I deal a lot with what I call scientific racism, medical racism. But they, this is the thinking within people who are the so-called scientists who feel they have a, a, you know, a linchpin where they can hang uh, uh, the explanation for these greater disparities in deaths and in cases that, that was common among their black, the local black populations, whether it's the black population of Atlanta or Charlotte or Philadelphia or Baltimore, uh, the, the medical people would just say, white medical people would just say, well, you know, these people tend to live low. And, you know, if you live low, you're going to stay low. And here's the diseases running this course there. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a medical intervention issue. It's a, issue of uh, these folk are, are just inclined to, to have unhealthy ways and maybe even unhealthy uh, so-called constitutions whereby these diseases uh, run amok amongst them. So it took a lot of work on, within the committed uh, black and white medical community, a small number of, of white medical uh, practitioners, it took a lot of work for them to um, disprove all this, 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 this uh, scientific, um, or I would say pseudoscientific quote, evidence. Similarly, when we jump forward with respect to HIV, because there were a lot of social stigma, as you, as you say, Karen, related to people who seem to be getting a, a, a HIV much more frequently than, than, than other people. So, um, and I, I remember well, and uh, uh, I don't know, I'm sure your, your younger listeners uh, uh, didn't experience it, but, and I, but in 1991, Magic Johnson, uh, made a big announcement. He, he was at the top of the top. You know, he was you know great, one of the greats of all time in NBA. And he was was a uh, tested positive for HIV. And I think it was the day after he had a big press conference, and the whole world stopped. And November seventh, nineteen ninety one. There you go. Yeah. There you go, brother Don. You remember it because I, I remember it well because he was one of my idols. And and he goes he goes before that Mike and says, "Listen, I'm stopped. I'm gonna have to stop playing NBA, you know, and because I've been found positive with HIV." And everyone said, you know, it was like shock up and down the highway. The, but what's really interesting when we look back at that is the fact that HIV seemed to be a positive, yeah. uh, seemed to be a death sentence. Yeah. Right. So that's how far down the, men, the, the general uh, consciousness and understanding with respect to HIV was at that time. The public was saying, well, you know, you, you, you wanted a, the low lives, you know, and, and now you're going to basically be gone. You know, you, you might not be here a year from now. And all of that was just proven with a lot of, lot of hard work and um, research, you know, fundraising, this on and on and on. And my hat's off to Magic Johnson, who now has a big foundation. You can go to it and beat up on it. And he, one of the things he tries to push with his foundation is, is uh, awareness with respect to HIV and, and uh, trying to uh, uh, galvanize the public to support people with HIV because now, you know, just with resources, with proper medical uh, surveillance and such, uh, it's just like a, 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 a disease that can be managed 
and 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 the rates of death have gone way way down since 1991. It's a, you know it's almost an invisible um, health issue now. You know, I, I I wanted to get a quick question in about HIV because it is I think as you properly distinguish extraordinarily manageable now and it's no longer a death sentence. But we have by no means eradicated HIV from our midst. And a, a lot of our brothers and sisters, particularly those in the LGBTQIA plus community, uh, we kind of have to make it clear that, you know, it's manageable, but that doesn't mean it's not here with us. So, you know, we have these miracle drugs like the PrEP and the variety of cocktails, which have even been simplified since Magic's time, which can extend your life. Mm -hmm. But it is not pleasant to live with HIV, okay. right? No. And, and and we don't want to encourage behaviors that lead to the contraction of HIV. Can you speak on that? Just let people know that it, it ain't over and we still need to participate in responsible oh. behaviors. Oh, you're absolutely right, Brother Donna. Thank you so much for emphasizing your point. Um, HIV is still a grave danger in Black communities. We have extraordinarily high rates of new infections. That's yeah. number one. And we have high rates of people who don't know they're infected. And we have high rates of people who are infected but don't have the means to get That's to right. those, those, that management uh, you know, uh, uh, um, situation that, that you mentioned, Brother Don. So you're absolutely right. What, I, what I'm speaking to is the, how long it took for the society to open up and see that HIV doesn't give a hoot who yes. it attacks, you know, in terms of race, color, creed, income, whatever. Um, right. It took it took two, about two decades to finally get the public to be accepting of people with HIV. And we hope that we're not reverting back to that hush-hush days when, like you say, people think, well, it's not a problem, or, well, I can't get it. And no, no, we, we're saying the exact opposite. We're saying with very conscious self-reflection um, uh, uh, and, and, and control, you can A, avoid getting it, B, you can avoid spreading it if you do have it, and C, you can have some avenues for, for screening and treatment, which wasn't the case 20 years ago. You know, right. so, so you make a very good point, but it's a, it's a great problem. And, and unfortunately, COVID-19 COVID has, has disrupted a lot of the, the services for people who are HIV, uh, yes. being treated with HIV, and uh, you know, I have to go out to, to their needs uh, uh, um, too. And it, and it always goes back to this fundamental inequality of access to healthcare, access to treatment, right? So it's not a death sentence if you got a good job with the good insurance that can give you access to these life-saving treatments, right? Now, there's a wonderful amount of organizations out there uh, who are doing the work to make these life-saving drugs accessible to everybody, but it's not universally accessible, right? So, but but you're making great points, brother. I don't want to beat the dead horse there. I could have perhaps used a better euphemism. <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. Let's go to the phones, though. Uh, we're with Dr. David McBride. He also has a book, Caring for Equality, 866-801-8255. Teresa in California has a question for you, Dr. David McBride. Hey, Teresa. Hi, how are you? Awesome. Um, this is my first time calling. Awesome. Excuse me if I'm ignorant, ignorant like the young guy who said something earlier. He didn't know his history. But anyway, um, so why do you think so many people have poor habits in health and don't want to try to fix them, minorities? 
Well, that that that's a great question. Um, and it's a nagging question. And it's a one that we've been looking at for a century. And Booker T. Washington said, you know, we're gonna answer that question. You know how we're gonna answer it? We're gonna organize people who have influence within our communities. And we're gonna make sure they're trained up and they're gonna go into our communities and speak and send messages that, that, that are meaningful and that are motivational to, to the people who, who, who we're talking about. Um, I, I, I mean, uh, 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 Karen had uh, someone on the show the other day. Uh, it was a brother yesterday, uh, uh, Gerald Moore, I believe his name. But remember, he talked about how important it was for people who were from this particular, his particular neighborhood to go back and speak uh, truth to, you know, to, to illusion. And so similarly with, with respect to health behaviors, we need to have culturally sensitive health work done in these communities. And what usually has happened, it's the opposite. You know, people sit around, they watch television, they get all kinds of misinformation. It's like we were talking with respect to HIV and they amplify it into, into amplified ignorance. Um, mm. But to beat that back, you gotta have uh, uh, community outreach and all the urban hospitals, they make an effort at doing this. Some do better than others. Um, but we, we need, you need the outreach uh, nurses, you need community outreach workers. And I assure you every effective program in all the diseases that we're talking about, they have strong community outreach programs. And uh, so I would say to answer your question, not only do we, we need um, uh, you know, media, message, media messages that make sense, you know, like commercials and, and public service announcements and people like Magic Johnson to try to change people's uh, uh, prejudices and such, but we do need on the ground community outreach uh, health promoters. And they come in all, all different occupational categories. So, you know, we have nurses, we have uh, people who are trained in health education. They need to be funded. And they need and they need to be allocated. And obviously, we need a lot of that now because of, of all the, the issues that are compounding under this under the, under the weight of the of the COVID uh, challenge. And uh, Teresa, thank you for your call. I think she was and, and don't be a stranger. I think she was though Dr. McBride speaking to why don't we know better? You know, we mm -hmm. all know you know these comorbidities, these underlying conditions. Uh, you just mentioned made it more difficult with TB. It definitely makes it more difficult with HIV AIDS and we're seeing with COVID-19, the underlying conditions are problematic. The high blood pressure, the diabetes and all of the other things, asthma, it could be more environmental, you know, injustice that happens in our community where we, where we're situated, but some of these things are self-inflicted. How mm -hmm. do we, you know, and we know better. We got the sugar and the, and the salt and the high blood pressure and all of that. We know better. We've seen the impact you know, the deleterious impact of bad habits, you know, Don even talked about 39 years old, having a heart attack, mm -hmm. but knowing, and then I had Trimaine uh, Lee on Don this week and he talked about his, you know, and I, then I was going to do research. I saw that y'all talked about, you know, this in the media. Oh, listen, Except, if yeah. it was not for brother Tremaine, I would not have understood that what was happening to me was a heart attack. So I have yet to meet that brother in person, but when I do, Okay, I got to invite him back on a Wednesday because he was 38, you were 39, and both of you were, were making life choices that precipitated that. So being black is already stressful. We already going to have an underlying condition that we just have to endure, and then we compound the fracture. Um, how, do we, how do we get away from those? Like, are there support groups? Is there a way for us to get away from those self-destructive behaviors? 
Well, I, I, I think, again, uh, we have to figure out how can we do an intervention at a very micro level. So you're talking about a family that lives on the sixth floor, you know, in, in the state of Bronx or Atlanta or something like that, or, or lives on the, in the out, you know, outside of town, you know, in one like a Southwest Philly industrial area and things of that sort. And, and I guess what I'm getting at is that that person kind of needs a spark, uh, needs somebody to be um, uh, some type of intervention um, element in that person's life. Now, sometimes you can get it from the media. You know, you can get it from again some somebody who has a show and says, "Listen, hey, you all you you guys and gals in your 30s, you think that you you know you're not going to get this kind of disease? Well, hey, we got some people here that can tell you otherwise." So I would say media is a, is, a, is 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 a possibility, but I'm more in terms of a healthy uh, community model that the healthcare providers, the health professionals in that particular area. Uh, should embrace, there are plenty of models, there are dozens and hundreds of models of wellness programs and such that can be um, um, distributed. Uh, black, post, black, kind of black like, run? Like are there black, I mean, like you think about Okinawa, we, we hear about the Okinawans, they have this, you know, they live to be a hundred, they're healthy, they have all these healthy practices, there's, these, there's this uh, town in Italy where everybody lives to be a hundred and they have these certain practices. <laughs> There are very few black places in the world where we could point to is like, ah, there's a model. So you're telling me, Dr. McBride, there's a model for black wellness? Uh, well, I think we're talking about an attitude. I guess, you, I guess you're suggesting that there's, a, there's an attitude of um, carelessness with respect to, to health issues. And it and it leads to it leads to self injury, and then yes. it also leads to, to injury of, of intimate on an intimate level. Mm. And and the, again, I, I have to kind of maybe fall back and to kind of like on my educator side and say that that person needs a lot of education and a lot of intervention at, in mm. a way that is meaningful for him or her. All right. And so that's why we got to invest in these wellness programs. That's why we have to have politicians that go to the big hospitals and say, listen, we're glad you can do heart operations and such, but we want you to make sure they have healthy food and you have parental training and everything else right out there in the community. And this is exactly what Booker T. Washington was doing you know, about a hundred years ago with the National Legal Health Week. Yes, he was he having was. radio shows and having nurses going out in the community and passing flyers and having contests, clean up, you know, clean up, James Brown, you know, clean up the ghetto. I mean. We, it's a self-care, but it has to be blended with a little more formalized health promotion. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.